Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by this message from Pastor Charlotte Quist. But God is doing something now. He's doing something today. He's doing something this morning that's preparing us, that's moving us forward, that there's a continuous flow in Him. And I've been thinking a lot about, like, I love following through the chronology of the Bible, especially the New Testament. You know, and we've just come through Easter, and we've just come through um, the celebration of the, the death and the resurrection of Christ, and we, we talked about the ascension of Christ and, and how he's seated in heavenly places, and he's coming again, and all of that stuff. But there's this passage in the beginning of the book of Acts that is not necessarily my topic tonight, but it's this, this um, thing that God's been stirring up in my heart. And it's the mix between the what is God's part and what is our part. What is God's timetable and what is our timetable? How much do we actually have control over? And today we're going to be talking about love wins. Love is this core thing that we're going to lean into. And in this passage in, in Acts chapter 2, Again, just an add-on, so we might not have it upstairs. But Acts chapter 2 starts off, and it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come. And it starts out there, When the day of Pentecost had fully come. What that means is that there was this day, there was this timeline, there was this thing that was supposed to happen that was God-set. It was God's time. When the day of Pentecost had fully come. Who decided when Pentecost would be? Who decided when the Holy Spirit would move? Who decided when that would? It was totally God. There was a certain timetable on God's agenda that he was lining up with. He, he, was, he, he had an assignment for that day, for that time, when the, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. And then it says, they were all with one accord in one place. And I never, you know, I, I've, I've um, been part of like different unity events for 20 plus years. Um, love them passionately. I I really think we maybe need to start doing some stuff again that's bringing the city together. But we, you know, we've had this expectation. I have been that person that like every time we've done a citywide event, every time we've done some sort of a unity gathering, every time there's been a worship conference or a prayer thing or, a, you know, some sort of a citywide service, I'm the person that is waiting for the room to shake. Like, God, this is, this is the setup. This is the, God is, God is going to do something. I have believed it and believed it and believed it. And, uh, and one of the interesting things in my life lately is that I have had to pause and realize that I barely believe it. I've actually been really struggling with believing it. I, I, you know, I wouldn't have said that a lot, but, you know, when people say, oh, I really miss the, you know, the citywide Good Friday service this year or whatever, we did them for 20 years, like. And the reason is because of this. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were all with one accord in one place. And I realized that for the first time ever, I, I actually never thought that that would be that difficult that they were all with one accord in one place. What that means is they had the same heart and the same mind. They had the same focus, the same drive. I always thought it was easy because you know what? It's relatively easy to plan events. It's not, it's not simple. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of organization. It takes a lot of administration, but it's relatively simple to plan an event. It is not simple to have everybody in one accord. 
And we have seen in this past year, more than ever, how difficult it is, how easily we're baited out of one accord, how easily we're pulled in other directions. And I was thinking about this, you know, this, this constant uh, pressure that must have been on the early apostles and the early disciples, this, this constant pressure when Jesus had said, now, I'm going to leave. You can't come with me yet, but you need to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Okay, but there's this gap of time where Jesus is gone, the Holy Spirit hasn't yet come, Jerusalem's in an uproar, obviously the temple had been shaken, the, the veil had been torn, the, the, the service within the temple, within the uh, Jewish tradition, obviously had been disrupted, the city was in an uproar uh, politically, there was pressure, there was people being killed and crucified all the time, Jesus wasn't the only one, and they are waiting. For how long? Jesus didn't say anything. Can you imagine, like we, we, we know that the word tells us that there was at one time 500 people saw Jesus in the flesh. So there was a lot more than the 120 that ended up staying in the upper room. Only 120 stuck it out. Only 120 could come into that place of agreement. Only 120 actually could lay down their own wishes, their own needs. Can you imagine day four, five, six, nothing's happening. We're together. It's getting tiresome. It's getting scary. We don't know what to do. My, my business needs my attention. My family needs my attention. My marriage needs my attention. I, I can't sit here forever. I have a life to do. And, and, and you kind of just know that because Peter had screwed up several times before that everybody was probably asking him like, seriously, did he tell you and you have forgotten? Or were you talking over him when he was trying to give instructions? Because it would be really helpful to know how long we're going to be here. What's this going to look like? You know that there would be the temptation to be like, well, maybe we're in the wrong place. Did anybody know? Is there an exact spot in Jerusalem that we're supposed to be? Is there, what exactly are we waiting for? It would have been so tempting to turn on each other. And evidently, many just left. So I'm looking at this lately, and I just feel this pull on the inside that I feel like God is, God is giving us this little bit of a wake-up call. And we've been talking lately about struggle and pressure and, you know, all the really great stuff, endurance. But today we're talking about love. And love wins every time. And we're going to get into the house of that. But I believe that we're in a moment where there is a, a, a thing of God, a move of God, an invitation of God when the day of Pentecost had come. When, when God sets a timetable that our responsibility is to do the other half. And they were together with one accord. Meaning they had to choose to lay down their own stuff, lay down their own rights, lay down their own wishes, lay down their own timetables. They had to choose something in order to pursue him. And I believe right now we're in this moment where there's been this pull to be focused on so many other things. And God is calling us into this place of invitation where he's the thing. The one heart, the one mind, the one accord, it's about him. It's just about him. It says, going further, um, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
And then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Sentence one, God's plan. Verses two, three, four, God's plan. Sentence two of verse one, our role. They were all with one accord. They were pursuing him. They were seeking him. They were choosing him. And so as we're looking at our current life situation, I'm like, you know, I, I have believed for unity events, and it's not about events, but I believe that we can come together, that the body of Christ can come together, that we can pursue God with one heart and one mind. And I've never thought it was so impossible until this year. I never thought it was so difficult. I never realized how much of a fight it is until I saw how easy it is for Christians to just attack each other, to fight online, to dish accusations back and forth, to set the rumor mill ablaze, to, to be so focused on the stuff of this life that we forget the main call to love, that we've drifted away from the, the actual single pursuit of him. And I believe God's calling us back to that. I believe he's, he's saying, you know, your, your heart is for me, but there might be one piece that you need to be aware of. You might have to dig in in a way that you weren't thinking you needed to dig in. John 15 is one of these passages. It's, it's in the beginning, 15, 16, 17 of the book of John is about... Uh, basically Jesus's last word in Testament. It's his, it's his last things that he says. It shifts us from the place where he's having the last supper with his disciples, and it ends with them moving towards the Garden of Gethsemane just before he's crucified. So we know that there's this this spot where Jesus has this limited amount of time with his closest people, and he can say whatever he wants to say. But how many of you have been with somebody who's on the end of life or they're on a, their limited capacity to be able to communicate and you know that they measure every word they say, right? It's not wasted stuff. You measure every word you say because every word matters. You need it to get to the right people and it needs to be understood in the right way. It needs to hit its mark. And so Jesus has this chunk John 15, 16, 17, where he's talking, he's instructing, and he's praying. And he's giving these last words, and it's so rich. But he says these certain things on repeat. There's certain things that he's not stuttering, he's not stumbling. He just really wants us to get it. And so when you put it in that perspective, if Jesus just before, this is the last day of his life, what is he going to say to those closest to him that are going to carry on the kingdom assignment? And he says this, John 15, starting at verse 9. He says, as the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, if you're following along in your Bible, underline every time it says love or loved. It's a lot. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. He's saying, I I'm telling you that I have loved you. You are as loved as I am. And you need to stay in that love. You need to choose to be connected to that love. There's this, this depth of love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. 
If you will stay in this place of love, there's a joy that's going to come up on the inside and it's going to overflow out of your life. If, if you are feeling like you need the strength, you need the supply, it's about coming back to this place of love is what he's saying. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Notice the love words in there again. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard, my father, heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Verse 17, and we'll stop there. These things I command you, that you love one another. So here's this very, very specific time. Jesus is with his disciples. It's this rich moment where everything matters. Every phrase matters. The timing matters. And what Jesus comes back to them with is essentially not, here's your instructions for life. Here's where I want you to go. Here's what I want you to do. Here's who I want you to talk to. Here's how I want you to fund it. Here, I want to I wanna set out for you the five-year mission plan and the 10-year the vision uh, casting. Here's, here's what your next two years are going to look like and we need to make measured goals they need to be attainable but they need to stretch you no Jesus talks a lot about love he just pauses and he talks about love and he doesn't talk about what's going to be coming out of them so much as what needs to come into them and how they're going to need to choose to live in order to do and be what he's made them to do and be and so interestingly you know a lot of times um, if you're doing a church seminar or you're, you're reading a book on church leadership, church government, pastoring, whatever, there's going to be a lot of instruction on how to set your goals. Like, how do you know if you're successful? How do you know if, if things are developing as God wants them to, to develop? How are you, you know, what are you aiming at? What's success? None of what Jesus said matches up with that. None of it. And I'm finding lately that increasingly, I don't really care what the books say that much. I really care what he says. I really care what the book says. And I really care that we start pursuing him. And so he's not talking about how to grow your church. He's not talking about how to fill your seats. He's not talking about how to expand. And, you know, he's talking about the basics, the starting point that everything else comes out of. He says, firstly, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you, abide in my love. The first thing, the number one thing that Jesus instructs is simply abide in my love. How do, I, how, do we, how do we move forward? What do we do? How do we act? How do we function? Abide in my love. It's literally that simple and that hard. Because we don't want to stay in that place of draw. We want to be able to produce for him. We want to be able to come up with something, a plan. Abide in my love is this number one thing. And then he carries on and he says, because he says that if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as my I have kept my father's commandments. And then he says, this is my commandment that you love one another. So abide in my love. Number two, then love one another. It's interesting because, you know, he's not talking about general society. He's not saying love people. I know it's shocking. He's saying love each other. 
he's talking to his disciples. He is saying that within my family, within my body, you have to love each other. You have to love me and abide in my love and love one another. This, this shouldn't be that hard, but how many of you know how easy it is when you've had a stressful day at work, maybe a stressful week at work, and you can, you can maintain game face all day long, you do what you need to do, and you come home, and how easy is it to lose it at home? How easy is it on the closest person to you to release the venom of life? To release what you've experienced from the day, the hurts, the brokenness, the offenses, the issues, the upsets. It is so easy for us to pick up the junk of life and dump it on those that matter most to us. And we do the same thing in the church. It's so easy for us to hold ourselves together publicly, but when we come together, oh, game on. And so Jesus is saying before the church ever started, before there was ever one church, Abide in my love, love one another, and then bear fruit. The bearing fruit is a product more than it's an instruction. It's a by, byproduct of what happens if the first two are in place. The word tells us that God is, he's the one who produces. We cannot pop out fruit. We cannot produce anything. We can fake it for a little while. We can be, you know, uh, we've had this like, incredible wave uh, with everybody, you know, developing their online technologies and everything. Do you know if we post things just right, if we put just the right tags on stuff, if we produce them in, in, you know, and put them on the right platforms, we can maneuver a crowd. We can fill seats. We can get views. And we can be absent of the Spirit of God doing it. So Jesus says the best way is to abide in his love, choose to love one another, and then bear the fruit. Specifically, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. And again, these things I command you, that you love one another. This word abide means to stay, remain, or be present so it means to purposefully stay in his love. It means to put a draw on and to live from his love. So number one, that first priority is putting a draw on him. The second priority is choosing to love one another. The family of faith, the body of Christ, the body of believers. There has been so much garbage. I know I'm not the only one who sees it online and everywhere where there has been attacking of other churches and other believers and they know better and I'm offended by them and I can't believe they would say this, do this, believe that. And it is sick and it is bait of Satan. It is something that we cannot have if we are going to experience the fullness of what God's got for us. We have to be the kind of people that when the day of Pentecost has come or when the day of God's visitation in this place has come, that we are together with one accord. That love is the anthem here. That love is the nature here. John 13, 34, specifically again, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. He did not say, go out and tell everybody you're my disciple and try and win over some converts. 
The instruction of Jesus was love one another. And when other people see that, they're going to know. They're going to know the truth. They're going to hear. They're going to come in, and there will be a byproduct of fruit that happens. There's something that comes out of this place of love. The product is the cause and effect kind of thing. When love is present, there is fruit that comes out, and it's good fruit. It's fruit that will last. John 17 20 to 23, this is the passage where Jesus has been, he's just been instructing, he's been telling the disciples this chapter 15 to 17, so rich. And then he shifts into prayer. Have you ever wondered what Jesus prayed for you? Did he pray for you? We say all the time, God sees us, he knows us as individuals. He does, and he prayed for us. He prayed for you and me. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, what we, what we see in the Bible as the, the word spread, as there was the expansion of Christianity, as there was the expansion of the faith, Jesus was praying for us. And what did he pray? This is John 17, verse 21. That all, they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may be one in us, Again, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave them, I have given to them. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in one. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Keeping in mind, this is Jesus' last hours. Do you see the repetition? When you're like leaving your house in charge with somebody and, and, and you say, okay, this is where this, you know, this is how you turn the water off. This is who you call if there's an emergency. This is how this works. This is when, when they come and they, they need to be paid for mowing the lawn or whatever. This is where the money is. Now, do you, do you have that? I've, I've written it out. I've left it on the counter. If there's any questions, you can call me, you know, but this, if you're repeating it, it's because it's important, Right? Jesus repeats over and over and over again. They are loved. Let them know the love. Let them choose to live the love with one another. And when the world sees the love that they're carrying, they're going to want it. And this is going to increase the kingdom. Our goal, our command, our commission by Jesus is radical love. It seems so obvious, but when we look at this and we can see that all this is going on around us right now, when we can see how the world is right now, it is becoming increasingly clear to me that there have been bait bombs set off all over the place for the church. That the enemy knows that the strategies of heaven that Jesus put out in order to bear fruit, in order to advance the kingdom, in order to see transformation, they are hinged on love. So the best bait for the church is to set up opportunities to walk away from love. To set up opportunities that whatever it is, whatever little thing we can get bitten, we can bite into, uh, it's for us. It's, it's the thing that's going to stop us from loving and it's going to compress what God wants to do on us. If we are abiding in him, we're putting a draw on him and we choose to pour out love to one another. There's a natural product of the spirit of God that changes the atmosphere around us. But if we pull from the self and we try to love people, we're putting out garbage. And, and, and my picture on that is we've got a, 
probably a lot of you do too, uh, one of those rain barrels, you know, that collects water and whatever, and on the bottom is a tap that you can hook a garden hose up to, and supposedly it's, you know, all fresh water and whatever, but it's like the least fresh water ever. Have you ever noticed, like, you, you turn it on and some weird green slime comes out the bottom, and you're like, what died in this thing? Like, this is disgusting. There's a, there's a smell that kind of shows up by, like, mid-July that you're like, what is that? And then, you, you know, like, my way of thinking is, like, we should bleach that, but then that would kill the grass and whatever drinks the water, and so that's not... But something nasty comes out. Now, you hook the hose up to a fresh water tap, and there is good water that comes out all the time. And so, yes, there needs to be a flow coming out of our lives, but it can't be out of a stagnant place. Are you with me? If we are stagnant, if what's on the inside of us is not connected to a constant draw from heaven, what comes out of us will stink. And let me just say lately, I don't mean this to sound judgmental, but I'm sure you guys all know it, see it, feel it too. Lately, the body of Christ online and publicly stinks. There is so much out there that is not of God. There's so much judgment and cursing and criticism and anything but fresh water that brings life. And I believe God's calling us to account on that. I believe that is part of experiencing the fullness of what's ahead. We have an optimal opportunity. The reality is I am horrified about what people think and how people respond right now, myself included at times. And what has been an interesting revelation for me is realizing that not necessarily is it a product of this past year so much as it's been exposed by this past year. It was probably there all along. Praise God for the exposing. There's these things that happen. Um, medical people in the house would know way better than me. But I, I've heard about, you know, people that are like sick, 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 sick on repeat, can't seem to get ahead of it. And then they find out that there's like a toenail fungus or some random, you know, thing that's been an, an infection that has been in their system for a long time. Um, people that have like issues with their teeth, like up in the roots, and the infection is causing problems in other places. It's kind of like that. It's like we've been looking at how to heal all these symptoms, but the root cause is in the heart. And we got to go in and allow God to clean some stuff out. And so I just believe that the Lord's leading us into this to understand today. Galatians 5, 14 to 16 is this very... Interesting verse. And it says, For the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The, the breakdown of this is essentially one word. If you could only say one word that defines Christianity, one word that defines the church, one word that describes Jesus, one word that describes out how, how and why he set up the law, one word that describes what is the core reality of life in, in the kingdom. Love should be that word. One word only should be enough. And, and, and that word has been twisted. That word has been shape, shaped and shaken around in all kinds of different ways lately, where when we hear love wins, it means a whole lot of other things. It, it means a whole lot of immorality that has been broadcasted. It means that if, if I disagree with somebody and they're doing something, you know, that, that's completely offside, if I love them, I'm going to come behind them and cheer them on while they light themselves on fire. I'm just going to watch them burn and... Love them through it. I, love is this twisted up kind of thing. Love, according to God's word, is something different. It's the laying down of self. 
It's the putting the draw on heaven and seeing the value in people and choosing to lay down my life for someone else. It is not about masks or no masks. It's not about sanitizer or no sanitizer. It's not about politics, uh, this party or that. It's not. The body of Christ has to come back to the place where love is our anthem and love is as described by God. Look at the warning as it goes further. It says, for the law is fulfilled in one word. Even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This letter is not written to humanity. It's written to a church. It says, beware lest you bite on each other. You start taking chunks out of each other and you are consumed. I'm telling you, I believe right now the enemy would love to consume the church under the flag of other kinds of global issues. And it's not about what they say it's about. It is about the fight between the forces. It's about spiritual warfare. It is about the kingdom of God advancing. It's about the enemy who knows what Jesus said and is trying to trip up the church and our defense, our move forward is to walk in love we have to deliberately choose to not bite on each other we have to deliberately choose and I'm not I'm saying the body of Christ in general we're pretty good in this house at loving each other I'm saying the bigger picture I've had a lot of people ask me my opinion on you know the Grace Life Church or the pastor that uh you know in Calgary that you know, chase the police out or the, the, the uh, let us worship movement that's going across the states and whatever. What's my opinion on that? Guess what my opinion is? It is totally not my business. It's not my business. I, I have a brother, a sister, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ who say that they are doing what God has instructed them to do. My job is to love them not necessarily, you know, I don't have to agree with anybody. I can love them and I can make sure that I do not take bites out of them. I can make sure that I am not consuming another member of the body of Christ. I can make sure that I am checking my speech and I am not calling down different groups and different organizations because they think or express differently than me. I would love it if people who think that we do things totally wrong here would actually ask me why. There are reasons for every, every decision that we've made. There is a background founded on prayer, founded on the word, and I can defend what it is God's called me to do. I can't defend what God's called anybody else to do. But if you love me, honor God by honoring me. And keep your mouth shut. And I'll do the same. You know, I, I found myself yesterday just realizing as I'm preparing, and it's like, man, this is just annoying. Like that we, we have just stuff that we're working through, and we're 14 months into planning services and, you know, whatever that are, that are so awkward. And I, it just hit me as I'm preparing. And I'm ashamed to say for the first time, it actually hit me that, man, every other pastor and worship leader I know is feeling the same thing today. And I just started texting around and messaging around going, you know, I know it's been hard. It's worth it. Keep going. I should have been doing that 14 months ago. It's very hard. 
It's very difficult. And what has happened is we've all managed to find our way to our own separate corners. And divided, we fall. United, we stand. They were all with one accord in one place, and the Spirit fell. It's not about a geographical location. It's a state of the heart. Right? It's the place God wants us to live and be and choose to function in. I've had people say, you know, well, there's, you know, this, this group that's doing this, it's an offense to the body of Christ. Only if you choose to let it to be. Because they're going to answer to God for whatever decision. And, and if they have been told to do that, then God is going to give them a well done. And if they haven't, then God will handle it. But have you ever noticed how inappropriate it is or would be if somebody came and tried to discipline your children for you? Somebody comes and spanks your kid. You don't take that kindly. You take that to the the, the RCMP and you file charges. God's kids are God's kids. They're not mine. It's not my job to discipline anybody else. It's my job to walk my walk, to live my life, to honor the Lord, to love the body. It's my job to be faithful to the calling upon my life and to make sure I'm not chewing on other people. Jesus said in John 16, 1, he's, he's been talking about how it's going to be. He's talking about love, and then he's talking about the persecution that they're going to face and the difficult times, and then he bounces back into love, and he's, he's giving them this instruction that it's not going to be easy, guys. You're going to need me, and you're going to need each other, and you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to flow through you. And then he says in this verse, 16, 1, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. I think that word is very interesting. These things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. It means that if, for you to be made to stumble, somebody or something is trying to stumble you, correct? For you to be made to stumble, something is being set in your path to trip you up. It's very interesting that Jesus says, you need to come, I got these last hours with you, here's what you need to know. I have loved you like the Father loves me. And as the Father loves me, he loves you too. And you need to abide in that love. That needs to be the core of everything you do. You need to be putting a draw on that love. And then you need to take that very same love and you need to love one another. Within this family, within this body, you need to choose to love one another because it's gonna be hard. And if you understand that it's gonna be hard, but you're in this together with me, you will not stumble somebody's going to lay traps. Somebody's going to put out bait. But I'm telling you this so that you will not be made to stumble. Some of us have done so many face plants this past year, it's ridiculous, and our noses have changed shapes. But there is a time now that God is calling us to stand up and be the body and love like we're supposed to. I believe, you know, we, we, again, we have done so many united events in different places and whatever. I believe what is ahead of us is richer than anything that is behind us because God is working on the heart. There's coming a a time when we actually don't see the labels on the doors and we don't pick apart and bicker about doctrines, but we focus on that one heart, one mind, that thing that God has called us to. Do you know within this city, the one person who regularly sends messages to me via Wayne um, is Father Leo at the Catholic Church. Wayne is at, because there's a lot of funerals that are live streamed and whatever, and every single time, Father Leo sends me a message. Guess how much we agree on? The one key thing. 
the one key thing. And man, what a gift it is to get that message every single time. Is that, you know, just say hi to her, bless Pastor Charlotte. Like there's, there's kindness that comes, there's love that encourages me on the inside because we're all running our race, we're all doing our bit. We all wouldn't maybe do it the same way. How do we know? Even the race of life, if we look at like, uh, you know, just talking, Wayne watches this super weird car show. What's it called? The, the what? The Grand Tour? Any other men watch that? Any other ladies sleep through it? <laughs> Holy cow, dad jokes on crack on that one. But they, uh, they do stuff. <laughs> yeah, Wayne loves it. <laughs> they do stuff like they're on the, you know, they'll, they'll select their own vehicles for these races or they'll build their own vehicles or whatever. And it's so interesting because they've all got to go from the same point A to point B in a certain amount of time and it's a race. But they all pick their own thing for their own reasons. They've all got what they like and what they don't like and what fits for them and what they feel comfortable in and what they don't feel comfortable in. We're kind of like that. We all are at the same starting point. We're all going to end up at the finish line. The vehicle that we have on the inside is what God has given us. It's what he's put in us to do and be. I've had people who say, well, you know, it's offensive to people if, if, if everybody doesn't wear a mask at a church. Okay. But I also know that there are people who it's very difficult for them health-wise, emotional-wise to do so. Whatever. I'm not going to debate it. I'm going to do what God asked me to do. I'm going to run my race. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to lead the way God is calling me to lead. And we as a house, we're not looking for public opinion. We're looking for the instructions of heaven. Amen. And that's the best we can do. We don't know what else to do. And every other church, every other part of the body is exactly the same. They just are trying to do the best that they can do with the instructions that God has given them. So I want to just real quick navigate through four baits that we want to walk past and make sure that we don't bite into. You guys all know that every kind of, you know, animal or different thing needs a different bait or a different trap or a different snare or whatever. So not everybody's going to be the same, but everybody is baitable. Everybody has a place that we're more likely than in another way to lean in. And we need to understand that there is an enemy that absolutely wants you to stumble. He absolutely wants to destroy the church. Why? This is literally meant to be the church's finest hour. It truly is. But the bait is out there. So the number one bait is distraction. Distraction. And we all know the phrase, you can't see the forest for the trees. It's that thing where the stuff right in front of you has your attention so much you can't even imagine where you're going anymore. You've lost focus. You've lost perspective because there's something right in front of you all the time. The actual definition of the breakdown of, of um, the phrase, uh, forest for the trees, is so caught up in the immediate crisis that we lose sight of the real goal. We're so caught up in the immediate crisis that we lose sight of the real goal, the real issues, the real assignment, the big picture. God has a big picture that goes beyond 2021. Whether here on the earth or on the other side, he's got a long-term plan and we're part of it. And if we get so caught up on the distractions of this life, we will miss it. 2 Timothy 2.4 says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 
No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. This is the thing, is that there's a race to run. There's a life to live. There's a God that we serve. And so we can't afford to get snagged up in every little thing. And yet, I'm sure you're all experiencing it too. It's this continuous flood of, would you sign this petition? Would you fill out this survey? What are your opinions on this? What are your thoughts on that? Have you seen this video? Do you know the controversy around this? Why are you doing what you're doing? What's your reasoning for that? Would you talk to my family member because they don't understand? That's so far from abide in me. Love one another. Bear the fruit. Isn't it? It's tempting. It's very tempting to have an opinion. I mean, we, we do want to make sure that we use our democratic processes and we vote when it's time to vote and we write the letters that are necessary to write so our voice is heard, but it cannot consume us. We've got an assignment. And the assignment is love. The second bait that's out there, and this is the big one, is disconnection. Disconnection. Oh, it's tempting. And it's been implemented in some places legally, physically. We have to fight. Disconnection falls into two camps. It's disconnection with God and disconnection with other believers. Disconnection with God, Jude verse 20 and 21 says, But you, beloved building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. I love how this puts the onus back on us. But you, beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God. I don't know if I'm feeling the love of God. I don't know if I'm experiencing the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. It's our job. If we're not feeling like there's anything loving coming out of us right now, the problem is guaranteed to be the source. We're obviously pouring out of that cesspool of self that gets damaged by life and it gets hurt along the way. I was thinking about, you know, Wayne and I were talking this week. um, Back in the day, I mean, I was that kid. I was the one that at... 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, was weeping at the altar because I believed that Jesus could come any second. I just wanted to worship him no matter what. I remember just, I can feel it. You know those moments that are like alive to you and if you go back in the memory, you can smell it almost, you can taste it. My my moments are in the presence of God. I remember early on when I was a new worship pastor in this house, and I didn't know what I was doing at all. There were days when Wayne would come home from work and I was still in my pajamas sitting at the piano because I'd been worshiping all day long and just weeping in the presence of God because it's so good, it's so good. And you know what happened? Church crap. Honestly. You find out that God is one thing, church is something else. Sometimes people are problems. Am I the only one? Some of y'all are offended right now because I said crap. But honestly, as a 13-year-old, 
God is able. Miracles could happen. Jesus loves everybody. Why wouldn't everybody want God? As a 15-year-old, I'm going to go to the nations. I'm going to preach all over the, the world. I'm going to see people come out of wheelchairs. I'm going to see miracles and signs and wonders. As a, as a young married, I believe that God could do exceedingly abundantly above what we can ask, think, or imagine. And then we got called into our first private meeting with the board of our current church to criticize. They wanted to know our opinion on the current youth leader's actions. And it was the first time I ever thought, church sucks. Multiple different AGMs and meetings and fights and splits over the course of time. And it's easy to become disconnected. Because we start with disconnecting from people, but because God loves people, because we're all one body, we end up disconnecting from him. And it doesn't feel quite the same anymore. I believe that there's something changing. I just want to say, if you haven't been part of the church's meetings here, we had a fantastic AGM on Monday night, and it was awesome and full of the Spirit of God. And there's no fighting, and there's no picking, and uh, praise the Lord for that. But I believe God is calling us to choose to love one another. So it's this. It's the deciding to keep myself in the love of God. It's deciding that that moment, that those, those feelings that I can feel, smell, taste in the presence of God, I can have them again today. And I do now. But there were some gaps. And they're always connected to offense. They're always connected to betrayal. They're always connected to some place of brokenness in the church. <sighs> but he's coming back for a bride who is spotless, without wrinkle, and the bride has made herself ready. This is what we get to do. And so we keep ourselves in that love. The Passion Translation says, but you, my delightfully loved friends, constantly and progressively build yourselves up on the foundation of your most holy faith by praying every moment in the Spirit. Fasten your hearts to the love of God and receive the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who gives us eternal life. And then it says in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And just parking there for a minute, let us stir up, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let us not consider how I feel about it. Let me not consider how this is affecting me. Let me not consider how long it's been since I felt like somebody did something for me. Let me not, let me consider one another. It's an action, it's a choice, it's a decision that we make. The draw that we receive from heaven as we're abiding in him is totally dependent on how much suck we put on it. It's, we either put no draw at all and it stays stagnant or we have a continuous draw on him that we're ready to release and we consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That, that's about seeing the best in people. It's calling them into life, calling them into action, choosing to pursue them, choosing to see what is in them, choosing to look at the giftings, the callings, the abilities, the personality. It's choosing to bring out the best. And then it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. 
but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, let me just say, we again, I think Pastor Brad prayed it already in this service, but we have been blessed in this province because we're not having to break the law to actually gather. We have added services today. We'll have three. Um, so we're doing that. But there are some provinces even in our nation that can't physically gather right now. I don't believe that's right, but the point is it doesn't change the fact that we can assemble ourselves together. It just doesn't look the same way as it used to or will again in the future. We, we can't say because it's not how I like it, I won't assemble, I won't gather. If I have to do it on Zoom, I have to do it on text, I have to do it on email, I have to do it on FaceTime, I have to do it on the phone, heaven forbid, an actual voice call. I will assemble together with somebody and I will sow into their lives. I will bless them. I will pull out the good things of God that are in them because I need to exhort them. They need to exhort me even more as we see the day approaching. So the instructions that are tucked in there is consider one another, stir up love and good works, get together and exhort one another. Bless one another, encourage one another, build one another up. With the amount of toxic garbage that you find out there in the world, don't you imagine that that would be incredibly attractive? Man, that place just loves each other. Those people are so happy. My sister, my friend was so depressed and so down and so, so caught under it. And man, the church rallied around her and pulled her in and she's just a totally different person. Can you imagine if those are the testimonies that are coming out of the body of Christ? That's what we're supposed to look like right now. So we watch out for consuming one another and instead do this. Number three is discouragement. I've switched from Numbers to letters and letters to numbers. C is discouragement. Discouragement is probably one of the biggest one that's hitting leaders right now. Discouragement comes from unmet expectations or disappointment in situations or people. And so it's one of the things that comes when, you know, when the world blew up in March last year and everybody had to decide their response much of what happened with the church drifting away was people uh, being disappointed in how their leaders handled things or how the body of Christ handled things or, you know, how their friends or family members handled things. I can't believe that you think that. I can't believe that you believe that. Why wouldn't you do this? I, I, I literally uh, I've had, had people come and say, you know, well, with, with everything that's going on in the province, like, how can we protest? Will you open the church? Like, have you not been here for the last like 11 months because we've been open <laughs> we, we haven't gone anywhere but but you know so looking for a fight so like and, and why aren't people doing stuff and why aren't people who's the author of that there's this place where God has called us to live in the expectation of him. And there's this spiritual connection that I think we have to be very careful of. Uh, one of the things that's caused division within the body is literally the separation between churches and denominations on their responses in this situation. What we're called to agree upon is Jesus. Methods change all around the world. Methods change and they always have. But the core of our faith should be the same thing. So what happens is when discouragement comes in and there's this like, I can't believe I'm the only one. That was the lie that Elijah believed too, by the way. And God came to him and said, no, there are thousands more. You're not actually alone. But it can feel very alone when you think that the people who you thought would stand with you don't. 
and discouragement and disappointment. Interestingly, Matthew 24, verse 12, it's talking about a a very specific situation, but I'm going to extend the interpretation here. It says, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. So obviously Jesus has a specific thing that he's talking about there, but there's a principle behind it. And it's talking about when there's lawlessness, when there's brokenness of what should be, it causes there to be a decrease in love. There's a, there's a cooling down of the heart that happens. And I believe much of it has to do with we're dabbling into judgment. We start seeing what is happening around us and we bite into judgment. And from that place, our love grows cold. We start to go, I can't believe. I can't believe they would do that. I can't believe they think that. I can't believe this. I can't. Disappointment in, in the most up close and personal stuff. We've got families, you know, talking to different kids that, that are sad that their parents don't want to come see them or, 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 you know, are scared that their parents want to come see them and they don't want them to get sick or vice versa. Grandparents that are like, it's my life. I want to come see my grandkids. Well, we're not allowed to, uh, but, you know, whatever. And it's back and forth and round and round. And, and well, are you going to get the vaccine? I don't know if I'm going to get the vaccine. Well, how could you possibly think that? And it's disappointment because we're family. Why don't we all think the same? No families do. None in the natural or in the spiritual. So when we're looking and we bite into judgment, it costs us our love. How do I know? Matthew 24, 12, Revelation 2, 1 to 5. It's called the loveless church. And it says to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, these things say he who holds up the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil and that you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and found them to be liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. I've never really considered this verse in that light before, but can we go back to that passage again there? In verse two, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. He's not saying you're wrong. He's not saying the assessment is wrong. He's saying that you've become this church that's like, that's wrong, and that's wrong, and that's wrong. And you have dug your fields in. It says you have persevered, you have patience, you've labored, you've done the hard stuff. We're doing the work of God. Those people are not of God. Those people are wrong. Those people are evil. These things, and they have drifted from their first love. I believe there's a bait, an invitation in critiquing other people. What do I think of this church, that church, this pastor, that pastor? Not my business. My job is to go back. Verse five, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Go back and do the love stuff. Choose love, pursue love, live out of love, decide to love, make the effort to love. What if they don't agree with you? 
What if they do think this is real? They don't think that is real. They do think this is beneficial. They don't. Love has to be the answer. It is the core thing. Are we mature enough to actually carry on a conversation with somebody who disagrees with us? I would hope so. But it's based on love. We have to choose to return to love. The final thing is dread. Do you appreciate the four Ds this morning that are especially for Pastor Les's service? He likes these things. They actually are helpful for remembering. Dread. Dread is simply fear. It is to anticipate something with apprehension or fear. Much of what we're seeing around us right now is the fruit of dread, the conversations that you're having, the, the issues that we're bumping into, coworkers, family members, friends, neighbors, whatever, when people are all jacked up and they've got a, they got a fight on the edge of their, their lips all the time. Much of it is based on dread. And we can say, well, I don't, I don't think I have any of that. Do you know if you are, let's just, let's just be controversial for a minute. Like that's new. <laughs> you are for or you are not for the vaccine. The reason you pump your opinion at the people around you can often be fear disguised as love. I am afraid if you don't get it, you will die. I'm afraid if you do get it, you will die. I am concerned long-term that I will lose you. So that fear is motivating me to push this down your throat whether you want it or not. <laughs> and we have to pause and go, you know, there is ample access to information. People can make their own decisions, but I can love you regardless. I can... I can serve you regardless. I can spend time with you regardless. It's not helping anything for me to push what I believe at you, uh, even if it's out of love. The, the fear, you know, those of us who are like, oh, I'm not afraid of anything. Many, many people ran to Costco as soon as they restocked the toilet paper. Why? Because the world might end if we run out. It's the most bizarre thing. It tells us that all of society is just hanging on a thread right now. How do we diffuse that? Love. Love just diffuses it. Literally, it's a spiritual principle. 1 John 4, 18 to 19. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love handles the situation. Again, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I'm just saying today, I believe God has, he's been preparing us. This entire year has been a training ground. He's been purifying. He's been pruning. He's been strengthening. He's been encouraging. He's been, you know, 
revealing any of those infection places that are hidden away. Some of the stuff that has come to the surface is horrifying. And yet, why would God reveal love? It's because he wants to pour out his spirit. But there's a place, and one of the keys for the body of Christ is unity. It has to be. It has to be. If Jesus specifically said that we are his body, if the description is there that he is the head and we are the body, literally, it's not that one part is more important than the other, but what good is an arm just laying on a table? It might be a really right arm. Uh-huh. <laughs> the righteous right hand. <laughs> It might be a good leg, it might be a good foot, but if it's not connected to the body, it can't do what it's supposed to do. I believe the bait has been laid out there. And we've almost bitten. Maybe we have in a few places. Maybe we've had some little nibbles of stuff we shouldn't have. But I believe God's asking us what we want more. So I'm gonna have the worship team come. Would you stand with us this morning? Don't you love it when God calls you on your private thoughts? First Corinthians 13 gives us a description of what this should look like. If God provides it and we simply deliver it, then this is possible. Correct? It says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and it is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own and love is not provoked. Those sentences right there, those phrases, it does not behave rudely, it does not seek its own, and it is not provoked. It's a big deal. Love thinks no evil. Why would they do that? Believe the best. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. And best of all, love never fails. Lord, this morning, we thank you that this love that you've called us to is a love that you've given us. It's the love that you offered us. It's the love that was poured out on the cross that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son. That you have loved us with an everlasting love that while we were yet sinners, you died for us, 
because there is no greater love than to lay down your life for another. Your love is immeasurable. Your love is uncontainable. Your love is unfailing. And Lord, I thank you that even today, that first instruction from Jesus was that we abide in your love. Right now, I pray for each person in-house, online, on radio, whatever, God, that needs to hear again about your love. Your love is given. We can't earn it. We can walk away from it, but it's always there as we return. And God, I pray for each one who has been struggling with feeling unloved or unlovable. And this morning, I thank you that the whisper of your spirit speaks to their hearts even now in Jesus' name. Lord, that each heart knows that love has been offered, love has been given, and all we do is come and abide. We come and put a draw on you. We come and say yes. We don't argue with you and say, I'm not lovable. We receive the love, God. And we love you because you love us first. So God, I pray that those waves of love would just wash over each person. And Lord, as you've called us to love one another, Lord, we know even today there's been discouragement, there's been distractions, there's been fear, there's been stuff that has risen up, there's been hurts and disappointments and disillusionment, God. We've been damaged and we've caused damage. We found out that people are in process and people in process are dangerous sometimes. But your love conquers it all. Your perfect love washes over and it heals every wound. And God, we can keep coming back to you. And even though there's maybe been wounds and there's been damage, you come and you pour your healing balm over us, God, that there's a restoration that comes in your presence and we can love again because it's your love. And so, Lord, we pray today that over every place of judgment that we may have bitten into, every place of offense, every place of bitterness, God, every place of criticism or critiquing, any place of devouring one another, we ask your forgiveness today, God. We ask your forgiveness and we, we say like King David did, search me, oh God, and know my heart and see if there is any wicked way. Lead me on the path everlasting. God, we want we wanna be right before you. We want to live in this kind of love. So we choose to forgive. We choose to release. We choose to extend mercy instead of judgment. And God, we step under your mercy as well. We thank you, Lord, that, that even every word of cursing, every thought of judgment, Lord, you have the power as we come before you and we ask your forgiveness to wipe it away. Wash it away. We pray that every word that is contrary to your will for people's lives, God, would fall to the ground void. Lord, every place of judgment would be released into mercy today in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray that as we take a step ourselves into choosing love, that your body across this city, your body across this province, this nation, God would choose love. 
that the words upon our lips would be pleasing and honoring to you, God. We know that the word tells us that we can't have bitter and sweet water coming from the same well. And so, Lord, may it be sweet. And we thank you for healing us from the inside out. We choose to be built upon you. We choose to be fashioned on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. We choose to be built in your love. Thank you, God. I just, I feel like today there's some that even, there's um, the Holy Spirit's just flagging something. You may need to actually apologize to somebody. And there may be some situations where you have been hurt and I really feel like the Lord's invitation today is if, if you've asked him for forgiveness and you've chosen to release it, it needs to leave your vocabulary. Jesus, we're so in awe that at the, the time of your death, you would speak so beautifully about love, love, love. That as the blood poured down the cross to pay our debt, it was love. And that on purpose, Holy Spirit, you waited until there was a there was an atmosphere of love that could contain you that you could work with that you could move with Lord we thank you for fashioning us to be that kind of people people of love people of love God may it be the testimony of our lives that we love you and we love people. And may you get all the glory. Thank you, God. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.victorygp.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.